miss you guys. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's been a while since we've been in this building. It's been a while since we've uh, been able to uh, worship and sing with you and, and, uh, and, and just to uh, see some familiar faces and uh, be able to, uh, uh, to respectfully, social distancely hug each other and, and love on each other has been uh, such a joy for, for Annie and the kids and me. Thank you all very, very much. And uh, it is so cool. Uh, I, I forgot how fun it is to, to have a, a contemporary gospel, bluegrass, punk, uh, you know, all, all mishmashed together. Um, we're getting just a little taste of what is to come. Um, and, and if you uh, are there and you're going, I, I don't know if, if I like that, buckle up, uh, because heaven is, is just going to be so much fun, uh, just singing and praising God and worshiping him and, uh, and, and lifting up his name forever and ever. There is nothing, nothing like the praises of God's people, Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 is where we are this morning. And when you're there, say, I'm there. All right, all right. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. This is the word of the Lord through the Apostle Paul. He says, I entreat you, Odia. And I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's ask that God would bless us, that we may understand and heed his word today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need your help. Sure, we understand nouns and verbs and pronouns and adjectives, prepositions and conjunctions, we, we get all of these things and we can put them together in sentences and, and phrases and paragraphs, we, we, we get this. And yet these words and these phrases and these sentences and this paragraph will mean nothing to us apart from your Holy Spirit driving it home into us. The seed will not uh, sprout and bear much fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold harvest, unless your spirit is at work in us, uh, tilling the ground so that it would be fertile soil for your word. And so, Father, I ask that you would do just that right now. 
that you would cultivate in us a a responsiveness to your word, that we may hear your word and we may heed it and we may love what we hear and what we heed. Lord, if there's anyone that's here that does not believe in Christ as their Savior, I pray that it would be undeniably clear that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And may they sense his nearness even here today. Lord, we ask great things of you because you're a great God and you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So magnify your name. Exalt your Son. Move in the power of your Holy Spirit. And may we leave out of here not as we came. May we leave out of here more like Jesus. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, you would think that people who profess to follow the Prince of Peace would be known as people of peace. But far too often, we are not known for being peacemaking, but rather we are known for disturbing the peace. Several years ago, Tom Rainer, a well-known Southern Baptist leader, he wrote a blog article entitled, 25 Silly Things Church Members Fight Over. 25 Silly Things Church Members Fight Over. Here, here are some gems that made the list. I, I picked out 10 of them that I thought were, were, were gold. Um, there was a fight over whether or not to sing happy birthday each week. Yeah. Uh, there was a dispute over whether the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts since black is the color of the devil. There was a disagreement over the term pot luck instead of pot blessing. (laughs) Much like the t-shirt, there was an argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. (laughs) Kyle, you'll appreciate this. Uh, There were two different churches that reported fights over the type of coffee. Uh, In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand, And in the other church, they moved simply to a stronger blend. There were members that left the church in the latter example. There were business meeting arguments over whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It actually took two business meetings to resolve that one. There was a dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape instead of grape juice. Oh, my. There was a big church argument over the discovery that the church budget was off by 10 cents. But don't worry, it was resolved when someone just gave a dime to the offering. There was a dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. (laughs) And my personal favorite, there was a fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. (laughs) <laughs> 25 silly things that church members fight over. Rainer compiled his list from a survey on Twitter that became a trending topic. Of course, in order for a topic to trend, a lot of people have to tweet about it. In other words, there are a lot of people 
who have experienced silly church fights in some way or another. You would think that people who follow the Prince of Peace would not be known for disturbing the peace. And yet, that seems to be the world that we live in right now, doesn't it? We seem to live in a culture of disturbed peace, where folks are fighting literally over anything and everything. Do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Do we get vaccinated or or should we stay unvaccinated? Should we open or should we close indoors or outdoors? Multiple services or just one service? There have been churches that have split, small churches that have split over two families whose kids started dating and for one reason or another they broke up and, and now the families are upset at each other because they took offense to the fact that, 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 that their child is not, you know, their, their, their baby is not good enough for the other and, and, and all of these things on and on and on. There are people who fight over uh, the music, people who fight over the Bible translation. We, uh, we, our churches are full of strife. I, I don't know many people who, who uh, see Baptist as synonymous with peace. And yet that's not the way that it should be. Unfortunately, we read in this passage that it's, it's been that way for a while, right? Nearly 2,000 years ago, Paul is writing a letter to the Philippian believers who he loves, he loves them dearly. He has deep, deep affection for these people. And yet, it seems as though the affection that he has for them is not shared with them for each other. There's a conflict in the church. The peace has been disturbed. And it seems like they could pinpoint it to two women Two women in the church uh, who just simply didn't get along with each other for whatever reason. It seems that they did get along at a time, but there was something that showed up, something that that arose that that was so uh, deep-seated and and, and so... uh, uh, they, they, they had such disagreement over these things that, that they just couldn't talk to each other. And, and of course, they've got friends who are going to side with one or the other, and eventually it just starts to metastasize until it takes over the entire church. Now, we don't know what the issue was. I think we could uh, be clear on what the issue wasn't. Uh, it doesn't seem like this was a theological issue. Paul has no problems sorting out theological issues, right? Uh, he, he, he'll, if there's a doctrinal problem, Paul is eager to, to, to settle that doctrinal issue. Uh, nor does it seem that this was a moral issue, that this was something that the Bible clearly says is right or wrong, and they're disagreeing over whether they should, uh, whether they should consider it right or wrong. Again, Paul doesn't have any problems with that either. Paul will tell you how to live, and he'll tell you if what you're doing is right 
or if it's wrong, if it's good or if it's sinful. It doesn't seem like this was a theological issue. It doesn't seem like this was a moral issue. But whatever the issue was, it clearly has gotten personal. And I don't know uh, about you, um, but I've seen enough in homes, I've seen enough in society, and I've certainly seen enough in church that personal disagreements, personal conflicts are like a ticking time bomb that could blow everything up. And Paul doesn't want that to happen with this church that he dearly, deeply loves. And so he writes this paragraph to them. Not only to, resolve, to help to resolve the conflict here, but to help reestablish the peace. When the peace has been disturbed, what must be done that it can be restored, put back together? We're back in a place of harmony amongst each other. Before I get into the, the, the details of the passage, maybe you're wondering why this is such a big deal. Well, you see, in Philippians, and hopefully you've seen this thus far through the letter, uh, if you haven't seen it now, well, we're nearing the end, so you might want to pick up on this. Um, <laughs> but, but, but one of the things that Paul is very clear here is, is that the gospel is central. The gospel takes primacy in the local church. But Paul here is not just talking about the message of the gospel. He's also talking about the way of the gospel the way of the gospel, the life that the gospel cultivates, the life that is produced by the power of Christ in the gospel. We as a culture have a tendency to put way uh, uh, more weight on the message of the gospel than we do on the way of the gospel, and I don't think that that has helped us. Uh, to be fair and to be clear, we must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must proclaim that Christ is crucified. He, he died for our sins and, and, and God raised him from the dead and he ascended into heaven where he sits triumphantly at the Father's right hand far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and over every name that is named. And true, as Paul says in Philippians 2, that there will come a day where every knee will bend and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh that he is Lord, okay? That, that we believe that. We believe that. But the question is not, do we have a grasp on these ideas, but rather, do these ideas have a grasp on us such that it transforms us and cultivates in us a totally different culture, a totally different lifestyle? It seems as if we've taken that as optional, and Paul is bringing it here to the center in Philippians and saying, this life isn't optional. This is how citizens of heaven live. This is the way that we need to be if we truly believe in these truths about Jesus. So Paul's going to spend a paragraph talking about for us what it means to maintain the peace. So look what he says here in verse 4. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche, those are the two women, to agree in the Lord. 
Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. If we're going to fight for peace, we must fight for peace, first off, with Christ-centered perspective. We must fight for peace with Christ-centered perspective. You say, where do I get that? Well, he says in there that he entreats Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. It's, it's a little unfortunate that the English Standard translates it the way that it does, agree, because this word is a word that Paul's used all throughout the letter. Uh, go back to chapter 1. Uh, flip, or in my case, scroll all the way to chapter 1, and look at, uh, 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 let's see, in verse 7, Paul talks about this, this mindset here. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Flip all the way down to verse 27. Look what he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, here it is, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. One mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Look at chapter two, verse two. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Look at verse 5, famously. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Look at chapter 3, going to verse 15. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. It's the same, verb, uh, same word, just in verb form. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Uh, uh, look um, also uh, in verse 19, he says, uh, their end is destruction. Talking about those who walk as enemies of the cross, as, uh, as you heard last week. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame, note, with minds set on earthly things, okay? And so now here in 4.2, Paul says, I entreat Euodia and entreat Syntyche, and he's using the same word, to be of the same mind to be like-minded, to get on the same page in the Lord, okay? So if we could roll all of that together, in Philippians, what Paul is saying is we need to have a mindset that is geared towards the gospel, not just the, the truth of the gospel, but the way of the gospel, that we, we set our minds on the same focus. We have the same perspective. We're, we're not fighting for our own personal benefits and so on. We're not fighting that people would, would follow our way of doing things, but that we would follow Jesus's way of doing things. You see? And isn't that what contributes so much to the disturbing of the peace among us? We want our way, not his way. We, we don't like it when you, when, you, when you play that way. You know, we don't like that kind of music. We, we, we aren't two and four people. We're, we're one and three people. And, and, and we don't like banjo. You know, I, I, want, I want turntables. You know, uh, <laughs> you know why, why can't, we, can't, can't a brother get a DJ up in here or something, you know, and just turn it up at North Lake? You know, I mean, what, what is it about my way? 
My name is not on this church. And neither is yours. It is your church, but it's like a lowercase y, your church. First and foremost, it is your church. Capital Y, capital O, capital U, capital R. Get that mindset. Be of the same mind. And when you are of this way, as he said in chapter 2, you're able to lay aside your interests in order to pursue the interests of another. Yodi and Syntyche were co-laborers with, with Christ and I, or with Paul, and I, I wish I could, I could get into more detail about that because that's profound that Paul points out these two women who were working side by side with Paul and with Clement and with the rest of the fellow workers in the work of the gospel, uh, not only here in Philippi, but all throughout uh, that region. They, Paul valued uh, their contributions to the ministry of the gospel. I wish I could go into more detail with that one because that's beautiful. But, but, but notice he says, for whatever reason, they've, they're now disagreeing with one another. They've gotten off the same page. And because they've gotten off the same page, Paul urges them, entreats, please, ladies, my dear sisters in the Lord, co-laborers in the gospel, get it together. Get on the same page. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Now again, there are theological issues that we may have to spar over, right? Uh, some of them are of vital importance. <laughs> Others are little, little nitpicky detail things that we've got to deal with. And we go, is this worth dividing over? Is this worth fighting for? Um, we have... One here, uh, Dr. Merkel, who uh, has a particular understanding of the end times. And we have others who are here who have a different understanding of how the end times play out. I know if I were to go to Ben, I would say, uh, who's right? And he would say, who's right? <laughs> Is that a rhetorical question? You know, or something like that. And... Uh, <laughs> And if I were to go over to another who has a different perspective, they would say, well, I'm right. Guess what? Y'all can be in the same church. And you could hug it out and love on each other and bless one another's lives. It's not worth fighting over. Is Jesus the risen Christ? That's worth fighting for. <laughs> is Jesus coming again and claiming his people as his own? And will he put an end to evil? And will he establish righteousness and justice and peace in his kingdom here on earth forever? That's worth fighting for. But is this, you know, the little nitpicky type things? That don't get bent out of shape over that. Are there moral issues that, that, are, that are worth causing a fuss for? Yes. And we've, as a church, have established principles of church discipline and so on, which is where we've said as a church, this is worth fighting over. You are worth fighting for. And if you're living in this lifestyle, we can't, we can't go with you on this. We've got to confront you in this sin, and we've got to urge you to turn away from this sin in repentance and turn back to Christ. But there are certain things that don't make that list. Whether or not you own a TV is not one of those issues. 
Ladies, if you wear pants as opposed to skirts, that's not an issue, all right? And so we learn that there are certain things that are major and there are certain things that are minor. It seems Yodi and Syntyche here were, were, were majoring on the minors. And Paul says, get on the same page. Be of the same mind. Jesus is everything. We've got to have a Christ-centered perspective. Not only that, though, but if you notice in here, there's this list of commands that Paul gives uh, afterwards. And I believe that these uh, uh, commands are directly connected to this conflict here. Now, now, why do I say that? Well, because when there's conflict, there are three things that are lost. Right? Uh, you lose your joy. Y'all have been in there before, right? You've been in a room, and all of a sudden, there are people that start arguing. Um, I, I've, I've had this experience before in the subway. Um, you know, you're sitting in the sub, and, and you know, I've got my phone and everything, and all of a sudden, there are people that are starting to go at each other, and what happens? This is what happens, right? <laughs> you know, um, it's awkward. And all of a sudden, nobody wants to talk to anybody, you know. And, and there's someone that just wants to kind of cut through the, the, the tension, you know. And they, what do they do? They, they cut through by throwing a joke or something like that. Why? Because in that situation, the joy has been lost, right? You may have felt that at home, you know, the slamming doors and everything. Nobody wants to be with each other. No one wants to enjoy each other's company and so on. You lose your joy. Not only do you lose your joy, but you lose your cool. You lose your cool. Now all of a sudden everything is offensive, right? You may have had that, marital conflicts and so on. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, you see the person, you know, making toast and the way that they butter their toast ticks you off right? And you're just like, ah, oh, you know, even the way you butter your toast makes me mad, you know, and all this. And you're like, I'm just buttering toast. What is wrong with you? You're what's wrong with me, you know, and all, and just all the stuff that's going on. You lose your cool. Now all of a sudden everything's offensive. You're mad at everything. You lose your joy. You lose your cool. And in many cases, you lose your sense. Now all of a sudden, little things become big things, right? Uh, uh, ant hills become mole hills, and so on. And so Paul is addressing each of these things here in the passage. We want to fight for peace, and if we fight for peace, then we're also going to have to fight for those things that are lost when the peace is lost as well, which is why he starts off in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you didn't hear me, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. See? Rejoice. You lose your joy. You've got to fight for your peace with Christ-centered praise. Get the joy back. How, how do I fight, when, uh, fight for peace when peace has been disturbed? I've got to set my sights and my joy on the Lord where it belongs. Note, my joy is not in you following my way. My joy is not found in you doing what I wanted you to do in the first place. That's not where joy is found. Joy is found when I come out of myself and get over myself and I set my sights on the one who is obedient unto death, even death on the cross, the one whom God highly exalted and gave a name that is above every name. My, my joy is found in the one who is gracious enough to come and take on flesh so that he could take away my sin and clothe me with a robe of righteousness that I can live in forever. I, 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 once my joy is 
fixed on Jesus, my joy is going to be perfectly fine. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm this, you know, Ned Flandersy type of Christian that's just sitting there going, hi ho everybody's well, you know, there's nothing to be upset about, I never have a bad day, everything's cool, you know, like every Christian movie ever, you know, um, uh, and, and, and some, I know there's some of you that will turn on Christian radio and you'll, you'll listen to it and you're just like, I just can't listen to it, and it's like, why? Because everyone's just so happy, you know, and it's just all the time, and it's like, is there anybody who struggles? That's not what he's talking about here, that you just have a, a, a endless, you know, uh, uh, you know, happy endings and so on, and you're just chipper and, and gleeful all day long. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is this. Even when you are in the seasons of conflict, even when you're in the seasons of disappointment, even when you are in the throes of, of, of disappointment and, and tension and all of these different things, you can set your mind on Jesus and say, my joy is unfazed. My joy is unfazed. Why? Because whatever is going on in my life, whatever the situation is, Jesus is still Jesus. <laughs> He's still the Lord. He's still high, high and exalted. He's still covering up my sins. I don't know about you, but I, I've had many seasons where I've uh, had the, the disagreements and so on, and I find myself saying things that I wouldn't otherwise say, and I find myself having attitudes that I wouldn't otherwise have. And it's in those moments that I feel that instant regret and guilt. And I feel... I feel it where I just go, I blew it. I completely blew it. And it doesn't help that I also have an enemy that's in my ear going, ooh, you're going to get it. You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself a pastor. You call yourself a professor. You're over here making disciples and all of that, and look where you're going. You're saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. Well, it doesn't look like you're following Jesus right now, player. And it's in that moment when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And there's my joy. There's my joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Because the Lord is always Still the Lord. And even in your conflict, you can find your joy in him and not in you getting your way. Not only that, but we must fight for peace with Christ-centered patience. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. <laughs> reasonableness there is a very difficult word uh, to, to grasp in our language. Uh, it has the idea of forbearance. Uh, gentleness. It seems clear that the context is someone has, has wronged you, someone rubbed you the wrong way, and, and everything in you just wants to clench fist and... Ugh, and he's saying, no. You don't want to be known as a person who quickly retaliates. You don't want to be known as a person who takes matters into his own hands. You, you don't want to be known as the person, as soon as you're wronged, you jump onto social media. 
Or as soon as you hear on the radio somebody saying, they're taking this away from you and they're taking that away from you, or on your favorite news channel or whatever, that you jump onto social media and go, oh, yo, death to everybody, you know, and all that. That's not you. That's not Christian. You know this. You know better. May people know you for your gentleness. What does that mean? That means that I can take all of that, absorb it, and rather than unleash it on somebody else, I go over to the Lord and say, God, here are my burdens, here are my cares, here are my concerns, I give it all to you. And then I turn over to that person or to the others who may not even be involved in this situation because that's what we love to do. We love to, uh, and when we have conflict in one situation, we love to go to completely innocent people who have no idea what you're talking about and we unleash on them. And, and, and Paul's saying, no, we are marked by gentleness, reasonableness, forbearance, temperance. We go to other people and we say, hey, how you doing? <laughs> I know there's some of us, you know, that kind of wear our emotions on our sleeves. And we're just, that's the way I am. You know, it is what it is. You know, take, you know, uh, take it, you know, the way you see it. Christ tells us there's a different way to live. There's a better way to live. Once again, think of our Lord, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Put those two together. For the joy set before him, so there's joy there, he endures the cross, and yet that joy is mingled with despising. This is a shameful road that he's got to walk. And that joy is mingled with, it's despising, it's pure hatred. I hate that I'm going through this. I hate the shame. I hate the slander. I hate them spitting in my face. I hate them punching me all the time. I hate them shooting craps for my clothes as I'm hanging on the cross. I hate them mocking me and saying, if you're the son of God, why don't you get your behind off of that cross? Save yourself if you're the son of God. I, I hate that they, that they said in my hearing, we have no king but Caesar. I hate all of that. And what comes out of his mouth? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What do they hear? They hear a Jesus who is gentle and lowly, a Jesus who could have, as they mocked him and told him to do, call down from heaven myriads upon myriads of angels and nuke the whole place. And instead, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. There's a gentleness with our Lord. Do people see that with you? If the Lord is near if you live every day in the presence of the risen and exalted Christ, can they see in you the gentleness that marked him? There's so many people who say they're fighting a culture war. They're fighting for the name of Jesus. And it's not bad to fight. Yes, we need to defend. 
his name. Yes, we need to commend people to turn from their sin. Yeah, we've got to confront evil and so on. But how do you do it? Do you do it by throwing the rules out the window and say, we're just going to go and we're going to fight fire with fire and, 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 and you know, now's not the time for Geneva Convention and all of that. Now's the time for us to, to fight, to reclaim everything for Jesus. I don't think Jesus is honored by that. When Jesus has clearly told us that the way that we go about living our lives is by letting our gentleness be known to everyone. It's a subversive way. I know, it's crazy. How do, we, how do we change the world for Jesus? By loving like Jesus. Huh? We fight with love? I mean, who does that, Jesus? <laughs> Let your gentleness be known. Fight for peace with Christ-centered patience. And then, we already touched on it, but I want to look at it again. Uh, verses six and seven, he says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Look at all these, all these words here. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, requests. All these different ways that we approach our Lord. And we do so so that we would not be anxious about anything. It's really hard to be anxious and prayerful at the same time. It's really hard. You have anxieties, you have stresses, you have tensions, you have things going on in your heart and in your soul and in your mind that are just weighing you down. There is a loving and caring God who's already shown his love and that he gave his son for us while we were yet his sinners, while we were still enemies, he died for the ungodly. He sent his son to do all of this for us. And if that's the case, then he seems to be the kind of God that says, tell me everything. Tell me everything. Lay it down. And notice what happens when you do. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We fight for peace with Christ-centered perspective. We fight for peace with Christ-centered praise. We fight for peace with Christ-centered patience. And lastly, we fight for peace with Christ-centered prayer. Go to the Lord. Don't take matters in your own hands and unleash on somebody else. Go to the Lord. Go to the one with the biggest shoulders in the universe and say, here are my burdens. Take it all. I need you. And in the peace that surpasses all understanding, you can now be gentle with others. You can now rejoice and you can now be of the same mind. And so my prayer for each one of you, rather than disturb the peace, make peace. Is there someone that you're in a tussle with? Maybe it's in your own home. Maybe it's here in this building. Maybe you're in this service and that person is in the other service and maybe that's the only way that y'all can get along with each other. Call them. First pray, because you're going to need the Spirit. <laughs> Call them. Make it right. Why? Why? Because this matters to Jesus. Fight for peace. Maybe you are the one who's in the wrong. And you're just too stubborn to admit it. Humble yourself. Like Jesus. 
Humble yourself. Jesus never sinned, but you sure do. <laughs> and go to, the Lord, or go to the Lord in prayer, asking for his forgiveness, and go to the person whom you have wronged and ask for their forgiveness. Make peace. What God is doing in this congregation is too precious for a few grudges here and there to, to have the potential to screw everything up. Let's be of the same mind and let's worship Jesus all the way, even in the way that we pursue peace with one another. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So Father, I ask that you would, by your grace, continue to work in us cultivate in us a Christ-likeness that is so clearly seen in the way we pursue peace with one another. I thank you, Father, for what you are doing here in North Wake and getting the gospel to this community and even to the ends of the earth. And Lord, I pray that this church would not just be known for our uh, deep, deep love for the message of the gospel. But may we also be known for uh, our deep, deep love for the way of the gospel. And may this peace spread beyond these doors and beyond these walls into uh, Wake Forest and Youngsville and Franklinton and Raleigh and even beyond May your peace abound in us and may your peace abound through us for the glory of King Jesus, we pray in 